goodness of God that we were singing about today, it needs to be not just sung about, but it needs to be manifested. It needs to be love and action. Amen? I'm just believing that God, the Holy Ghost is leading us into 2022 by His Spirit. And so we're going to be led by God. Amen? Over, there's over 400 billion stars in our galaxy alone, and that's approximate. They don't have an exact number, but under over 400 billion stars, and I got this off NASA's website. In the 1990s, they thought there were 200 billion galaxies, 200 billion galaxies, and uh, with over 400 uh, million, I'm sorry, 400 billion stars in our galaxy, you can multiply that approximately times 200 and uh, billion. And then in 2016, NASA's website said that the Hubble uh, telescope uh, now believe that there was 2 trillion galaxies. 2 trillion galaxies. That is a bunch of stars. So uh, if, you're, if it's approximately 400 billion I don't know what that number would be. I don't have a calculator. I don't know if anybody has a calculator to multiply 2 trillion times 400 billion. That's a large number. It's got a lot of zeros. But um, So that's what we're going to be talking about today is the stars. And Genesis chapter 5, verse 5 and 6, chapter 15, verse 5 and 6. This is when God was talking to Abraham about the covenant that he had with him. He says, then he brought him outside. God brought Abraham outside and said, look now toward the heaven and count the stars. How many know he couldn't do that right after what we said? If you're able to number them, and he said to them, so shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Now, this scripture, if you just read it for surface, you just think, oh, Abraham went out, he counted the stars, tried to, and God says, well, that's how many your descendants are going to be. But the word count in Hebrew is sefar. Sefar means to declare, to tell the story, or rehearse. So God wasn't telling Abraham, now, Abraham, I want you to look up and count the stars. He was saying, Abraham... I want you to look at the stars, and I'm going to rehearse or recount to you a story. Now, that just puts a different little swing on this story, doesn't it? And so Abraham didn't come, become righteous by just counting the stars. Because the Bible says that uh, he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. This is the thing that always troubled me, that... Um, just because Abraham believed, God told him something Abraham believed in, in a particular thing, that made him righteous? That just doesn't fit with the rest of the gospel. There's only one way to become righteous, and that's believing upon the Lord Jesus Christ. It's through Jesus, the gift of Jesus, that causes you and me to be righteous. There is nothing else that you can believe, nothing else you and I can do, for you and me to become righteous. Are you getting this? Do you understand that? You can't do enough works to become righteous. That's called self-righteousness, and it's a stench in God's nostrils. You can't do anything. You can't believe in any other miracle. You can't believe, oh, I believe God is good, and that makes you righteous. No. 
Oh, God said I was going to have a baby. That's going to make you righteous? No. There's only one thing that makes us righteous. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. So what in the world can Abraham believe and be called, and he be made righteous? The word count there, I looked it up in the lexicon called uh, a dictionary of biblical languages and somatic domains in Hebrew. Now, I know you think, okay, whatever. It means uh, count is the same uh, as number, and it also means to rehearse or to tell the story. To rehearse or tell the story. So there is a message in the heavens that Abraham was looking up to to understand something. He wasn't just going one, two, three, eight. No, God, I can't do that. No, there was a story that God was telling him. And Abraham believed the story that God was telling him. And the Bible says because he believed in the story that God told him, counted it to him as righteous. So there's a story that God wanted Abraham to take note of. And there was something about the story that Abraham believed it and made him righteous. So in the Old Testament, I just put down some of these. It's probably not all of them, but Moses, Noah, Lot. If you study the life of Lot, you think he was made right, he was called righteous? Yeah, Lot was. Moses, all of these people were called righteous in the Old Testament. Moses, Noah, Lot, Job. Daniel, David, and Enoch, all of these were called righteous before God. Why were they righteous before God? They had to believe in Jesus. Now, they didn't probably believe everything and understand everything, obviously, but they did believe him. So uh, the message written in the stars refers to the seed of Abraham. The telling of the stars and the numbering of the stars presents a prophetic message of the coming Savior of the world. Jesus Christ is the ultimate fulfillment of that great message. So in Galatians chapter 3, verse 8, it says, In the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, he preached the gospel to Abraham. Now listen to me now. What is the gospel? It's not just, hey, Abraham, you're going to have a child. No, that's not the gospel. What is the good news? It's Gospel means good news. It's about Jesus coming and giving us the message of grace and that we are now forgiven of all of our sins and we are standing upon the Lord Jesus Christ. It, that is the gospel. And here he says that he preached the gospel to Abraham. So obviously God wasn't just saying, Abraham, you're going to have a lot of kids. That's not the gospel. Are you hearing me? He said he preached the gospel to Abraham, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. How are the nations all going to be blessed? It's something about the seed that was in Abraham that was going to go through his lineage, and Jesus was going to be born from that seed, and the whole world's going to be blessed, not because of what Abraham did, but because of the seed, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Having said that, before we begin, you know, astrology, horoscopes, all of that is an imitation of the reality and the truth of what God has done. Astrology and horoscopes, don't even read it, don't go there, they're evil, 
No black. I'm just going to be black and white before you. You say, oh, I just read it for fun. Stop it. Because it will try, the devil will try to influence your life. This is what the devil is trying. When God brings a truth to the world, the devil goes, oh, that's, that's a good idea. I want to try to imitate that and take it to the left. He does that all the time. He doesn't have the ability to come up with great ideas. So he takes what God has done and twists it. So that's what he's done with the constellations. There's people think, and then there's Christians who think the constellations are evil because of what astrology and horoscopes have done. No, they are not. They are God. And we're gonna, I'm going to show you and prove to you in the word of God that they are God-given. God-given. Amen. Psalms 19, verse 1 through 3. This word in the New King James declare is also safar, which is to count, which means to rehearse, to tell the story. Okay? You remember that? So when you see that word in here, you know that it's the same word that God spoke to Abraham. Psalms 19 verse 1 says, The heavens declare, the word declare, tell the story or rehearse. It tells the story here. The glory of God. The heavens do that. And the firmament proclaims the work of his hands. Day into day utter speech, and night to night proclaims knowledge. There are no speeches or words of which their voices are not heard. The voice has gone out into all the earth, and the words to the ends of the world. Listen to the Passion Translation. Same scripture, Psalms 19. God's splendor is a tale that is told. His testament is written in the stars. His testament is written in the stars. Space itself speaks his story every day. Are you getting this? This is so interesting. The space speaks the story of the gospel every day. Through the miracles of the heavens, his truth is on tour in the starry vault of the sky, showing his skill in creation's craftsmanship. Each day gushes out its message to the next, night after night, whispering its knowledge to all without a sound, without a word, without a voice being heard, yet all the world can see its story. Everywhere its gospel is clearly read so all may know. That is just amazing. We have, and if you can look up Luke 21, 25, there's going to be stars, signs in the stars in the heavens for the return of Christ. We all know about the star of Bethlehem celebrating Christmas. There was a star. There was a sign in the heavens that said that Jesus was born. Uh, I found out in ancient Egypt, ancient Israel, I'm sorry, ancient Israel, you know, Israel's been buried, the, the time Christ was, it's been buried in under the dirt and everything, and they literally built the new Israel. If you go over there and visit, it's kind of like on top of it. And so they dug down underneath the existent Jerusalem, and they found a synagogue in the 5th and 6th century. They could tell by the pottery and the things that they found in that that it was in the 5th and 6th century. That's how old it was. And in this synagogue, on the floor... It was a mosaic thing on the floor, and it was the, in a circle, and it was the 12 constellations. Why would you have that in a synagogue? Why would you have that in a church? Interesting. Very interesting. 
Job chapter 38, verse 31. Can you direct, this is God speaking to Job. If you read Job, he, you know, he's complaining about all the bad things that were happening to them. So God began to speak to him. And he said to Job, can you direct the movement of the stars, binding the cluster of the Pleiades or loosening the cords of Orion? Those are constellations, by the way. Can you direct the constellations through the seasons or guide the bear with her cubs across the heavens? That's the big dipper. Do you know the laws of the universe? Can you use them to regulate the earth? God was speaking to Job about the constellations. Job chapter uh, 38, verse 32, the New King James says it a different way. Can you bring out Maseroth in its season? Maseroth is the Hebrew word for the zodiac. It's just a Hebrew word that means the zodiac, the constellations. Or can you guide the great bear with its cubs? The Amplified version of that says, Can you lead forth the signs of the zodiac in their season? So here, God is talking about this. So obviously, the zodiac, the constellations, have God's stamp of approval because he's the one who made them. Psalms 147.4. God counts the numbers of the stars. He calls them all by name. God brought the animals before Adam and said, you name them. The stars, he goes, I'm going to name them. Now, of course, all the newer stars, you know, God didn't name, but all of the ancient stars that were known at that time by man, God is the one who named the stars. And we'll figure out why he named them, because he wanted the stars to tell the story of the gospel. Psalms 50, verse 6 says this, Let the heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. You just, and it's not the righteousness just like, oh, boy, look at isn't God so awesome by making all these stars, billions of stars. No, they are declaring the righteousness of God, which is Jesus. So we're going to go through these real quick. There's 12 major constellations, 12 of them. The gospel and the stars begins with Virgo, uh, the virgin, and ends with Leo, the lion of the tribe of Judah. So... Buckle up. You ready? Here we go. All 12. Um, the first one is Virgo. It's a picture of, uh, of Virgo as that of a woman with a shuck of wheat in her left hand, a branch in her right hand. The brightest star in, the const- in this constellation is located in the seed of the wheat. That star is called Spica. In Arabic, it's Al-Zimak, which means the branch. God named this star, and its meaning is the branch. You think, well, wow, that's kind of neat. No, it's more than neat. It's because the branch in the right hand of Virgo in Isaiah chapter 4, verse 2, in that day the branch of the Lord be beautiful with glorious. Time and time again, the branch is the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's been displayed in the stars. There are three, if, if you study the constellations, there are side constellations that are attached to the main constellation. Virgo is the main one, but there's three attached to it. And each one of these 12, there's side pieces, what they call side pieces. And through when I, so when I 
taught this for two months or in the Bible school, I would go through each one of these. Obviously, I'm not going to be able to do that today. But I did want to kind of do the, uh, the virgin, the Virgo. Uh, there's three side pieces that help tell the story of Virgo. So each constellation has other constellations attached to it or around it to help tell the story about that one major constellation. Does that make sense? So the, one, the three that are attached to um, Virgo, is the one is coma. Coma means the desired. For the child in the lap of the mother represents the desired one, the desire of women of all nations waiting for the Messiah. The second one is Butes. Butes is pictured as a shepherd bearing his rod, as a harvestman bearing his sickle. It is the seed of the woman who will come to reap the great harvest. And the word butes means the coming one. The coming one. Another name for this constellation was taken from a star on the left knee of the shepherd. is called Arcturus, which also means he cometh. And then the third side rail is Centaurus. You're probably familiar with this one. In the ancient star chart, the centaur is pictured as being half human and half horse. You've probably seen some kind of movies about that. You know, he's half horse and his top half is human. That, however, is not the original concept of this constellation. The name Centaurus simply means two natures, two natures. And so it's referring to the fact that the seed of the woman was virgin-born, He was not the seed of man. His two natures were represented by a combination of humanity and deity. Jesus was 100% human, but he was also 100% God, having both natures. So he is God clothed in human flesh. Therefore, the Centaurus is representing the very nature of God. So Virgo and her attending side rail uh, pieces represent the beginning of an adventure to destroy the seed of the serpent and to rescue the human race. If you read in the book of Revelation, chapter 12, it's seen Virgo, the virgin, she's seen clothed in the sun. If you read, sometimes you read Revelation and, man, you think, what in the world does this mean? I'm going to explain Revelation chapter 12 to you. It talks about the virgin is clothed in the sun with the moon under her feet, giving birth to the Messiah. This tells us that his birth was on Rosh Hashanah, a time when the constellation Virgo is hidden by the sun, and the new moon appears beneath her feet. Virgo represents both the house of Israel and Mary, both. So if you read that in Revelation chapter 12, he's talking about the constellation there. The second constellation, Libra. Libra in other cultures was depicted, depicted as a set of scales. There are two main stars in the sign of Libra, which tell the story of the prophecy. In one side of the scales, there is a star called Zubin al-Janubi. Yeah, this could be a little tough. It means the price which is deficient. The price is deficient. Amdali points to the price which man might Attempt to pay for redemption. In other words, self-righteousness. If I do enough works, I'll be able to be redeemed. This star says, no, it's deficient. Anything that man could do is going to be deficient. 
And I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm going to love to, if there's videos, I want to love that video that God was talking to Abraham about the stars. It, it would be fantastic. So that one star says it's deficient. In the other side of the scales, there is a star called Zuban al-Kamali, meaning the price which covers. So it's a picture of the price paid by Christ for the redemption of the sinner. So the constellation Libra is attended by three side rails as well. But in the main scales, there's one that's like, okay, it's not, there's not enough to pay for it. But then the other side of the scales is Jesus is the one who's the only one that can pay for the sin of all mankind. And um, I'm not going to be able to go through all of these. So I'm just going to tell you the Southern Cross is in there. Lupus is the second constellation. And uh, Corona Borelius is the third constellation. So the main story of Libra is this. When you put all of these constellations together, man is a sinner. We are weighed in the balances of God's justice, and we are found wanting. The seed of the woman, however, came to become a victim to pay the price for our sins. He died as the substitute upon the southern cross that he might gain for us the northern crown. All of these constellations are in there that tell that story. The third constellation, Scorpio. The third constellation, Scorpio, represents a scorpion. Though in some early cultures it's depicted as a dragon or a serpent. As we said earlier in the 7th century, uh, I didn't say this earlier, but in my Bible class I did. In 7th century B.C. is shown trying to seize the lamp. Scorpio wants to be the light of the world. In other uh, cultures, Scorpio has been trying to sting the heel of the mighty Ophicius which is seen in the ancient star charts wrestling with a great snake called serpents. The star in the heart of Scorpio is called Antares. When seen in the nighttime sky, it gives the appearance of a deep red color and means the wounding. While Ophicius is crushing the head of Scorpio, it is seen binding the serpent who is trying to gain the northern crown. And there's three also side rails that are part of Scorpio, Serpens, Sophicius, and Hercules. I just will say one thing about Hercules. Uh, he can be seen in the star chart beating uh, a many-headed snake with his club. The snake is shown in the branches of a tree, most likely the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Hercules is another picture of the great redeemer. Doesn't that sound like God, the tree that... Adam and Eve ate of a tree of knowledge and good of evil. God just took one of the branches off that tree and beat the snot out of the devil. I thought that's a good picture. I thought that was a good picture. All right. Um, The fourth constellation is Sagittarius. It uh, is in the form of the centaur, half human, half horse. Well, we did talk about that one. So uh, you know about that one, but it's a whole constellation. It's a major constellation itself, and um, there's three side rails to this as well. I want to talk about one of them. It's Draco, 
It is a long winding constellation made up of stars which wrap around the northernmost part of the hemisphere. It covers one third of the circumference and reminds us of Revelation chapter 12 and 3 and 4 where it talks about the dragon took a third of the, uh, of the angels. Well, it's a constellation represented up there that this constellation, it appears to be a great dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon its head. And his tail drew a third part of the stars of, in heaven. Listen to this also. One of the stars in the serpent or the Draco is Thurban. And listen, NASA can prove this or shows this. Did you know all this? They know where the stars were thousands of years ago because the stars are always doing the same every year. Everything in the universe travels exactly the same. So 4,700 years ago, the dragon star Thurban was in fact the north polar star. Listen, this is, this is interesting. So NASA can tell you 4,700 years ago, you know, Polaris is the north star today. But 4,700 years ago, Polaris was not. It was the star called Thurban. Over the centuries, however, 47, you know, Draco has fallen from its lofty position and has been replaced by Polaris. Hence, the story kicked out of heaven because he tried to usurp his throne of God. Thurban is a star in the constellation Draco, the serpent. How God said that Satan tried to usurp his authority. And he said, I, in, his, I, in it, Isaiah, it says, I will go up to the high throne of God. I will exalt, I, I, I. And God said, no, you will be cast down. That has been in the heavens for thousands of years. The story of that, how Satan himself was going to try to usurp his authority and God cast him down. God says, not only am I going to do it, I'm going to let the whole universe know about it because I'm going to put that story in the stars. It's pretty interesting. The fifth constellation is Capricorn. This represents... A great message when we understand that the, the goat represents the sacrificial anim, animal used on the Day of Atonement. And the fish represents the body of believers who have received life out of the death of this great sacrifice. So Jesus is the fulfillment of the sacrificial goat and believers are represented by the fish. In some ancient star charts, the goat appears to be dying with its head bowed and its leg folded while the fish tail is living and vigorous. There are two stars in the head of the goat that tell the story. Danab Al-Jadai. Now, if you look these up, you're going to say, well, that's not what that star is. Okay, that's the best way I can pronounce it, okay? This star means the sacrifice comes. And Debi, which means the sacrifice slain. So note that from the dying goat comes a living fish. Furthermore, the Bible teaches that Christ is the head of the church, while in turn the church represents the body of Christ, the head of the goat, and the body of a fish, which 
uh, when Jesus anointed his disciples in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, he said, I will make you fishers of men. Fishers of men. And there's also three side rails to that. We're not going to be able to go into them, all right? So the sixth constellation is Aquarius. It's the great water bearer. Our Savior identified himself as the fulfillment of Aquarius in John 4, 14. He said, whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him, he shall never thirst. But the water that I, I'm sorry, let me get back up. Whoso drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be to him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. All right, let me scroll down to number seven. It's Pisces. In the ancient uh, Maseroth, Pisces is shown as two fish with tails tied together by a band. This is the, like I said, you can go way back, thousand, in every culture too, the Egyptian, the Babylonian, all major ancient cultures show the constellations. It's just over the last thousands of years, really probably the last 50 to 75 to 100 years where the constellations have been, well, no, even the Egyptian culture hundreds of years ago, they just keep twisting and twisting the devil, perverting the constellation to make them not tell the story. So Pisces is shown, shown as two fish with their tails tied together by a band. The constellation with its side row and side pieces represent a vast body of believers who have received the water of life down through the centuries. These are two fish, one horizontal and the other vertical. We should note that Pisces was a symbol of Israel and adopted of early Christianity. It is entirely possible that the horizontal fish represents Israel, the earthly chosen people, while the vertical fish represents the heavenly people. The symbol of Christianity has always been the fish Disciples became the first fishers of man. Following them are the great soul winners of history. All right. The eighth constellation, Aries. The band that holds the two fish together is attached to the neck of Cetus, the sea monster. At the same time, however, the leg of Aries appears to break the bands. Elnoth. The brightest star in this constellation means the wounded or slain. The name Ares means chief or head. Andromeda, the chained woman in the constellation, Pisces, is set free by Persis, a side piece to Ares. Andromeda then becomes, I know this is going to get complicated, Cassipia, the enthroned queen in the constellation Aries, who is married to Cephas, the enthroned king in the constellation Pisces. So, the four major constellations of Capricorn, Aquarius, Pisces, and Aries give a picture of the blessings of salvation. So, Capricorn represents Christ, the sacrificial head of the church. Aquarius represents Christ, who pours out his spirit upon all who believe. Pisces represents the vast body of believers who receives the water of life. And Aries represents Christ as the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. The last four constellations, along with their side pieces, tell the story and represent the concluding act in this great drama of the ages. The tribulation period followed by the second coming of Christ. And it's 
Taurus, Gemini, Cancer, and Leo. So, number nine is Taurus. It's shown as the coming of the judge of the earth. Taurus is pictured as a raging bull coming furiously. Only the front half of the bull is depicted in the constellation. Where the back end of the bull would normally be drawn stands the constellation of Aries, the lamb. Did you get that? The front half of the constellation is the bull, but the, behind that constellation is Aries, the lamb, as if the bull is coming out of Aries. It is a magnificent picture of Christ who came the first time as a lamb of God to take away the sins of the world, but will return one day bringing judgment upon all the wicked as the bull. Raging, coming from the Lamb as the King of Kings. All right. Um, one of the side pieces of that is Orion. You're probably familiar with that. I always like to find Orion <coughs> in the sky. Orion is pictured as a mighty hunter with a club in his right hand. In his left hand, this is not one of the major constellations. It's one of the side pieces. He holds the skin of a lion that he has killed. Orion is mentioned twice in the book of Job and once in the prophecy of Amos. Orion means coming forth as light. The brightest star in the constellation is Betelgeuse. You ever seen that star? I looked that up one time. It's, I forgot how big it is. I should have looked it up and told you. But, I mean, it makes our sun like a dot. The brightest star in the constellation is Betelgeuse, meaning the coming of the branch. Another star in the foot is Regal, meaning the foot that crushes. This is why God named this, these most important stars, the foot that crushes. In the shoulder of the constellation is a star called Bellatrix, meaning quickly coming. In his leg is a star called Sapha meaning bruised. Again, as in every other case, we are reminded that Christ crushing the head of the seed of the serpent. Orion is obviously a picture of Christ coming in power and great glory. All right, the 10th constellation. We're doing good. Gemini. In the star chart, it is pictured as a pair of twin boys. However, in the ancient zodiac, even of Egypt, if you go back and even find the ancient zodiac of Egypt, it was depicted as a man and a woman. In the Coptic language, Gemini was called Pimaya, meaning the united. And I believe it represents the Savior and his bride. There are two stars which mark the heads of the two people in Gemini, Castor and Pollux. These are Latin names. You may recall in Acts chapter 28, verse 11, in that story, when Paul traveled on a ship whose name was Castor and Pollux, that's those two stars. Castor means, so they knew about this in the time of Paul and the early disciples, you know? So because those two stars are on the front of a ship that he was traveling on. Castor means ruler or judge. And so you think, why you're reading that in Acts chapter 28, and you think, well, why is it talking about Castor and Pollux? It's to let you know that these people knew about the constellations and the gospel proclamation that it told. Castor means ruler or judge. Pollux means to who comes to suffer. So we're reminded of the suffering Savior who will come one day and united with his bride. He is destined to rule over the earth as King of kings and Lord of lords. All right, let's drop down to number 11, Cancer. 
It's depicted as a crab, denotes that which is born of water. That reminds us of the New Testament Christianity, whose symbol is that of a fish, for we have been born of water, a type of the Holy Spirit. The crab has an unusual feature, however. Periodically, it sheds its outer skin and comes forth with what appears to be a new life. The symbol represents resurrection of those New Testament saints who are part of the rapture and accompany the translation of the living saints into heaven. New life. And then, man, I can't go into it, but it's uh, the Little Dipper, Ursa Minor, the Big Dipper, Ursa Major, and it talks about all of that. Um, The Twelfth Constellation. All right, here we go. It's depicted as Leo, the great lion, and it's pouncing upon its prey. It's a view of the lion of the tribe of Judah, so beautifully described in Revelation chapter 5, verse 5. And uh, its side pieces are Hydra, Crater, Corvus, and um, I'll just tell one thing about Hydra. It's the, there are three side pieces even to, that are connected to Hydra. It helps tell the story of Leo. Uh, Hydra, the many-headed serpent, that's what Hydra is, the many-headed serpent, is a huge constellation extending approximately one-third the distance around the circle of the heavens, reminding us that Satan's tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven. Hydra means he is abhorred. It is composed of 60 stars. And um, the idea is that uh, Hydra is one... Um, The idea with Hydra is that when one cuts off its head, two grow back in its place. He is the great red dragon known as Satan. Leo the lion was the banner or standard for the tribe of Judah. Numbers chapter 2, Numbers chapter 24, Genesis 37 and 49. The brightest star in this constellation is Regulus. The word regal. In the Hebrew or Chaldean word for foot. So Regulus literally means to tread underfoot. Because kings did this to their enemies, the word became associated with royalty. The second brightest star is Denobila. In Arabic, it means the tail of the lion. In the Hebrew, root word for that is judge. And bow means to come. So it is possible that denoba, denobila means the coming judge. And the next brightest star in Leo is named Algebia. That's butchered really bad. I was going to say algebra, but there's no word in it. So, but anyway, it's real close to algebra, but not. Uh, in Arabic, it is El Gibor. In Hebrew, which means the mighty God man. The mighty God man. There's a star in Leo that means the mighty God man. Listen, not only is it the mighty God man talking about Jesus, because you and I are in Christ, it's talking about you and me. I believe God, at the end of this story, showed Abraham how he pictures mankind, the mighty God-man, because of all of the constellation stories of being in Christ. When you and I have a revelation of who we are in Christ, 
you and I become mighty because we know who we are. All right? I got to stop there. But anyway, I think that's very, did you get something out of that? So now when you look up to the stars and the constellation, it goes, oh, yeah, that's neat. Yeah, whatever. For thousands of years, God told Abraham, he told Job, he told all of these, and it was passed down from generation to generation. And I can even prove in the book of Romans, Paul talked about how the gospel is told in the constellations. So even these people knew about it. It just wasn't talked about that much, but it's mentioned throughout the Bible. It's mentioned about the constellations throughout the Bible. So Abraham, David, Moses, the disciples, they knew about the, the gospel story being told in the constellations. Everybody knew about it. So after thousands of years, it, it lost its significance. It lost its uh, story because people didn't uh, keep telling it. or keep that. Some did, obviously, because we have it today. But I just want to remind you that this is the goodness of God. You think about, well, they didn't have a Bible. Job, there was, was supposed to be one of the earliest books written. He had no Bible to read whatsoever. He had no Bible to read whatsoever. But yet he knew about the goodness of God in the constellations because God talked to him about it. He knew. This is why he says, I'm, I'm going to believe in God. I am going to believe God. What caused him to be like that if he didn't have a Bible to read? It had to be because he knew about the gospel and the constellations. How else do, would he know that? This is why God, when he talked to him, that what we read in Job, he talked to him. He says, okay, Job, you know about the constellations. Can you make them move? Can you? Why did he say that if Job didn't know about the constellations, what they were named? God specifically said, can you... How about Pleiades? How about Orion? How about uh, the bear? What about him? He mentioned him by name because Job knew them by name. Job knew. Like I said, I doubt seriously, and this is just my opinion, that they knew the gospel story like we do, reading the word of God. But I guarantee you they do it. I don't believe Abraham could be called righteous without knowing about Jesus Christ, that there was a Savior. I don't believe David, Moses, and all of these guys could be called righteous. I don't think there was a standard that to be made righteous, oh, you just, anything in the Old Testament you believe. And then in the New Testament, Paul starts teaching about the grace message and saying that the only way you can be made righteous is by receiving the gift. There's nothing that you can do. Nothing, no kind of performance can make you righteous. Amen? Let's stand. Praise God. So anyway, like I said, you just got to skip off the water pond on this one. But um, I know that um, I think Vicki said that she has nine CDs of my sermons on this. And... Um, but I just want you to know, isn't God good? 
to be able thousands of years ago that God told the gospel story the good news how Satan was defeated even in the stars Satan was even defeated before thousands of years before Jesus was coming the whole universe proclaimed that the enemy was going to be defeated on the cross what amazing story what amazing story Father we thank you for your goodness in telling us the story the message of the goodness of God and the starry host that for all to see that nobody is without excuse because I know that people can look up and wonder what that means and I know the spirit of, that it's God you're continually talking to people speaking to us and I believe this coming year will be a year that people hear you specifically they'll hear you directly that they will realize that they don't need a minister, a prophet to hear what God wants for them but that they will have a relationship with you God as their true father thank you for ministers all around the world that you give us the message, you give us the good news you give us things to teach to help people to grow I'm thankful for that but I'm also thankful that all of us have a direct connection to you a hotline to you and I believe Father that people will fall more in love with you in this next coming year they'll fall so much in love I have such a great appreciation of your word, of your spirit, of your goodness, of your truth, of the gospel message. The goodness of God. And I believe because of that, healing will break forth like never before. We read about it, God. We read about great healing revivals. I've heard ministers personally say back in the 40s and 50s and 60s that it was the easiest thing in the world to get people healed. We see the tent revivals of Oral Roberts, how people just got healed by the thousands. I believe that what we will see this coming year, that that will pale compared to what is going to be displayed. I believe that the goodness of God, it's your desire to see your people healed. So we thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.